When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, sure. So I've been uh, working in trade compliance for about 22, 23 years now. Uh, so I got a law degree uh, back in 99, uh, passed the California bar, uh, and then immediately went into trade compliance, uh, first in uh, a few law firms uh, here in Washington, D.C. That was the vice president of trade compliance from Flex, Joss Fitchu. I visit with Josh on the changes in the form or realm of economic sanctions and trade sanctions since the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how that has impacted his organization going forward. We also have a discussion about how trade compliance has evolved. Uh, Josh has been at it about 22 years, and he's seen the evolution from the early 2010s going forward. It's a fascinating pod, which I know you will enjoy on the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Josh Fitchew. I had the chance to meet Josh virtually when I did a short pod with him for the Compliance Week 2022 conference. Uh, Discovered he's a trade sanctions guru, if not geek. And so I asked him if he would uh, come back on the pod and maybe have a little more expansive visit about his role in uh, trade sanctions, his role at Flex, and really the, uh, I don't want to say insanity, but the uh, how the world changed after the Russian invasion. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, Josh, welcome back, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Uh, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Josh, could you tell our listeners your professional background? Uh, sure. So I've been uh, working in trade compliance for about 22, 23 years now. Uh, so I got a law degree uh, back in 99, uh, passed the California bar, uh, and then immediately went into trade compliance, uh, first in uh, a few law firms uh, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and then in 2011, uh, I moved over to London uh, to take on uh, responsibility for trade compliance at BAE Systems, which is a large aerospace and defense company uh, headquartered in London. And I was there for seven years, working through a consent agreement with the State Department, uh, various uh, ITAR, EAR, uh, export control and sanctions issues. Uh, then I went, uh, moving back to D.C. in 2017, uh, I went back uh, to a law firm for three years uh, and worked on trade compliance um, CFIUS matters, so uh, foreign direct investment, uh, cross-border trade issues. I was there for three years, and then uh, when the opportunity came to join Flex uh, right at the start of the pandemic in May of 2020, uh, I I took that opportunity uh, primarily because of the the great company that Flex is, their exposure around the world, uh, and the fact that it would uh, kind of exposed me to a new uh, part of trade compliance, which I hadn't had a lot of experience with previously, which was U.S.-China trade compliance. So in a nutshell, that, uh, that's my background. It's about 23 years in trade compliance. What's your current role at Flex, Josh? Uh, so I'm the vice president for global trade at Flex. Uh, so I'm responsible 
for both the export side, so sanctions, export controls, et cetera, uh, and also the import side, so that's import duties, free trade agreements, um, customs compliance, et cetera. So it's, it's a pretty uh, expansive role, and there's a, a lot going on these days. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Josh, one of the things that I've been thinking about, working about, uh, writing about is how the world really changed with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But it really didn't start there. It started several years ago. And it seems like your professional career may may dovetail that a little bit uh, or maybe a lot, because obviously we all went through the pandemic. Trade sanctions changed during the pandemic. Trade sanctions changed during the Trump administration. They were used much more robustly than I'd previously seen. And so we had an increase in trade sanctions. We had the pandemic. Then we had the, uh, the event of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and so I wanted to maybe start with the pre-invasion. Did, did you and your team see this coming? Were you so uh, working so diligently from the change from the Trump administration and then the pandemic that um, you had really gave you the opportunity to prepare for such a uh, watershed event? And uh, how were you ready to go when the invasion hit? Yeah, so we uh, I would say we were probably in the same boat as most other companies in that we had some sense that something was happening uh, starting in October, November of uh, 2021. Uh, and so we started in that time frame, November, uh, December 2021, started to look at our exposure more closely. At that point, frankly, I will say it, it did not seem real to me. So uh, I did not think that there was going to be an invasion just because it, it, it seemed so um, uh, so world-changing that it was hard to comprehend all of the different ways that it, it might impact us. But we did start thinking about it. So we were looking at what is our exposure to the Russian market? What's our exposure in Ukraine? Uh, how will this affect uh, trade sanctions? How will it affect global trade flows, etc.? cetera? Uh, and uh, the the result of that was that we identified our, uh, we did have some exposure in Russia um, we have a, quite a bit of exposure in Ukraine and still do. So we started thinking through these issues. But um, in all candor, uh, we didn't uh, really uh, understand fully how extensive this invasion was going to be uh, and how impactful it would be on the sanctions landscape, on the trade landscape, etc. Uh, so we had some preparation, probably two or three months uh, but a lot of it, we had to address issues uh, as they were unfolding. So how did you address those issues early on? And how were you able, to, or I'd rather, what were some of your biggest challenges early on after the invasion? Uh, so there, I would probably break them into two uh, initial buckets and then a, a subsidiary bucket. The, the first of those was, what is our exposure to trade with Russia? Uh, so it became very clear early on that the sanctions regime imposed by the United States, by the European Union, and their allies was going to be comprehensive. Um, we were not sure initially that that was going to be the case, but within a few days of the invasion, that became clear. Uh, and so uh, thankfully, that's where some of our preparation had come into, uh, into play. So we already had a pretty good sense for what our exposure was to trade with Russia. Um, and, and so we had, we had quantified that, we'd identified the customers, 
who would be impacted because trade is, because Flex is a um, manufacturing company. So we uh, manufacture for other companies. Um, we have a very diverse customer base. Uh, we build products uh, for thousands of customers at 130 sites around the world, 30 countries that we're involved in. Uh, and so we, we have a, a lot of different customer relationships, but we had the first few months before the invasion to survey those, identify which of them uh, had uh, involvement with Russia. Uh, and so once the invasion happened, we were able to feed up to the company leadership. This is what our exposure looks like. This is what the sanctions regime uh, looks like. This is how it will impact our exposure. Uh, and then also, these are the trends that are happening. So we'll probably talk about it further in the podcast, but a lot of what's been happening with Russia is only driven by sanctions. It's, it's, not, um, it's not required by sanctions. So, so we were looking at that question about how is trade with Russia or Russia's relationship with the West going to change, feeding that up uh, to company leadership so they could make the decisions then about, okay, um, how do we want to go? Obviously, we're going to comply with all the sanctions, uh, but do we go further than that? Um, uh, and how do we manage our customer relationships? So we, we were able to tackle that Russian portion relatively quickly. The second portion is Ukraine. So Flex has a large manufacturing facility in uh, southwestern Ukraine, uh, in the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, we have more than 5,000 employees at a site there. Uh, and so uh, within half a day of the invasion, the questions started, started coming up. How do we manage our exposure at that site? Uh, so that was not primarily my uh, responsibility, uh, but we did have to provide information to the company about uh, what is importing into Ukraine going to look like from the EU? What is exporting from Ukraine uh, to the EU going to look like? Are we able to get the materials that we need for that production into Ukraine? What happens if the Ukrainian government, uh, if Kiev falls and the Ukrainian government uh, is operated by a Russian puppet state? How do we deal with the customs authorities? How do we deal with that? So we, we fed a lot of that information into the company's decision-making process. Um, uh, and they, uh, they decided that we were going to, uh, we were going to continue operations in Ukraine. It was uh, the right thing to do and, and we could do it. Uh, so, uh, I'm glad the company made that decision. So we're committed to the Ukrainian market. Um, and, and I think it was the right decision for the company, for our employees there, uh, and for Ukraine. So that was the second bucket. And then the, the third was really the, the broader geopolitical context. What does this mean? for uh, U.S. Uh, trade with the world. And, and here, uh, I would put one of the key issues for us, the key questions was, how is China going to react uh, to the situation in Eastern Europe? Uh, so frankly, we, we had some exposure to Russia. It was not huge. Uh, uh, Flex is a, a company with about 25 billion in annual revenue. Uh, our revenue uh, related to Russia was very small in comparison to that. Uh, but our exposure in China is much larger. We have a very big manufacturing footprint there. Uh, and so um, the, the, the significant, most significant impact for us would have been the question about, um, uh, is China going to support Western sanctions against Russia, or are they going to try and, uh, uh, gonna try and um, work around those sanctions uh, in their own interest and, and to support their relationship with Russia? Uh, and so we're wa still watching that very closely. 
Uh, but that was one of the key questions is uh, how does China react to this uh, and, and what sorts of geopolitical tensions might that create between the United States and China? Josh, it sounds like the uh, information that you and your team developed was, I think you said, fed up to senior management or at least kind of went up the chain so that it sounded like you had uh, information from, from your department really being used in an operational sense to help the company uh, make operational plans going forward. Is that a fair assessment of what happened? Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, we play both an operational and a strategic role. Uh, so that's one of the things that's been happening. Tom, you alluded earlier to kind of the, the Trump administration and, and the increasing use of sanctions. Uh, and that all plays in with the broader trend in compliance, particularly sanctions and export control compliance over the past five or 10 years. And, and that is really uh, a shift from what I would characterize to perhaps a more uh, tactical uh, approach to trade compliance to much more of a strategic approach. And, and Flex is very much in that uh, process uh, where uh, the company sees trade compliance as a strategic activity. It, it is part of defining who we are, what direction we're going. Uh, and so these questions uh, became very operational in, in, uh, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, so on the one hand, day to day, how do we manage our customer relationships that relate to Russia? Uh, how do we manage the site in Mukachevo and Ukraine? Uh, but then strategically, it was also a much bigger question about um, what does our, our footprint look like? How do we manage uh, the, any geopolitical tensions or opportunities that may come out of this? Uh, and so it was, it was very much both operational uh, as well as strategic. Uh, I'd like to move forward to sort of here we are near the end of Q2. By my count, we've had five rounds of sanctions from the U.S. Uh, and in the EU as well. Have you been able to use this process really through each round of additional and more robust sanctions going forward? Uh, yeah, so we, we obviously follow those sanctions very closely. Uh, we have seen uh, quite a number of, of rounds of sanctions, both from the U.S., from the EU, and allied countries. We do expect to see more uh, over coming months. It, it doesn't look like uh, the West is done sanctioning Russia, so they're going to keep ratcheting up the pressure, uh, keep trying to find uh, points that may actually impact uh, either Russia's uh, decision-making or its ability to execute its plans in, in Ukraine or elsewhere. Um, so we do expect those to continue, and we follow them closely. Um, but here's also where the, uh, the bigger questions that go beyond sanctions come in, which is that across our customer base, and we do have a, a number of them that had significant exposure in Russia, um, what we have seen is a largely universal stepping back from the Russian market. There's just a recognition that the, uh, the risks there go far beyond risks of sanctions or export controls or things like that. So um, uh, uh, the substantial majority of our customers have made the decision that they're going to either withdraw or pause uh, or otherwise suspend operations, the vast majority of operations in Russia. Uh, and, and so that has uh, had the knock-on effect of, for us of uh, having to, uh, we are less exposed to the sanctions risk now. So each new round of sanctions 
um, has uh, less and less impact on our operations just because our customers have made the decision that, that they are uh, suspending operations in Russia. So there's, uh, frankly, I think very little business uh, that involves Russia at this point. Uh, from our customers. So, and we've seen that across the board. You, and you'll, you'll see that in the reporting. Uh, I, I think the vast majority of Western companies have drastically reduced their exposure in Russia. Uh, Josh, I had uh, really thought about the a change in tr- trade sanctions really starting with the Trump administration, but you pointed back uh, perhaps a little bit earlier to a move away from simply tactical to more strategic and operational. Uh, when did you begin to see that change? Uh, so we started seeing that. I was probably in my prior role. Um, I started seeing it, it even in, in, in law firm practice back in the late 2000s, but certainly by 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, we started to see a bit of a shift in uh, the policy discussions about what sanctions are, uh, what export controls are, uh, and what purposes they're, they're really intended to achieve. So that was kind of probably uh, second Obama administration. But those discussions were also happening in Europe and uh, in the diplomatic world between uh, the European countries and the U.S. Uh, so we started seeing that in the early 20-teens uh, where people were, were starting to, uh, I think, focus on less on engagement as uh, an opportunity to shift behavior in states that were of concern to the U.S. or the EU or, or um, uh, Western countries, more towards one of confrontation and um, uh, denying abilities to those countries. Um, uh, so we started seeing that with export control reform, uh, uh, with uh, uh, the expansion of um, the foreign direct product rule, for instance, that was a little bit later, but um, the the philosophical underpinnings, the thinking that went on that underlays those started uh, before the Trump administration. Uh, And so you started to see a confluence on the one hand uh, of the Western policy establishment, particularly the U.S. policy establishment, um, moving away from a concept of engagement uh, with China, with Russia, with others towards uh, a policy of maybe technological uh, containment is the wrong word, but um, uh, technological, technologically li- limiting their access to certain key uh, technologies of interest. And, and so that uh, started to play out in the sanctions world and the export control world um, in the, the early 20-teens, in my view. Uh, and then that started really coming to the fore in the Trump administration when they did take a much more aggressive uh, uh, posture towards the use of sanctions and export controls. So the entity listing of Huawei was uh, a, a big uh, change. Uh, and, and by that time, uh, I think a lot of the foreign policy establishment, uh, the national security and, and um, export control and sanctions establishment and state, treasury, DOD, uh, they had kind of uh, coalesced around the concept that um, our, our approach to export controls and sanctions needed to change. It needed to uh, solidify around a more uh, assertive approach. And that's what we've seen uh, since the Trump administration. And I I think there's no going back at this point. Um, So uh, these tools really are now designed to to do different things than they were 10 or 15 years ago. And that really leads to my next question, Josh, which is uh, down the road, 2025, or perhaps even beyond into 2030, do you see a continuation 
of this approach from the from whatever administrations in power, and then a response by people like yourself in, in uh, corporate world or uh, others who might be uh, doing trade sanctions and export control in the law firm world. Yes, absolutely. So I don't see any reasonable chance that the U.S. will shift back to a more limited approach to uh, export compliance. So uh, in the 2000s, export compliance was primarily focused on containing non-state actor threats, uh, so denying uh, weapons and material uh, to non-state actors. Uh, by, yeah, about 2010, 2011, export control reform timeframe, uh, it started to shift towards the state actor threat, China, Russia, others. Uh, that's going to continue. Well, Josh, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will uh, check out your LinkedIn profile, which we're going to have on the show notes. Thanks again, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. We're going to take a little time off from July 4th through July 8th. So our next episode will be Monday, July 11th. In the interim, I hope if you have not done so, you will check out Never the Same, a five-part podcast series I recently posted on how business has changed forever in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You can check it out on Megaphone, iTunes, Spotify, the FCPA Compliance Report, or wherever great podcasts are posted and listened to. The podcast title, Never the Same. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again after July 11th. This is Tom Fox wishing you a happy and safe July 4th. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.